my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. So in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about my experience in 12-step meetings, specifically in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. It is the main group that I was in for several years, and it really helped me so much. I got a lot of great transformation. I took a lot of inspiration from my experience there and is infused in a lot of the things that I teach here And I absolutely created this healing and learning environment because there were some gaps that I needed to be filled that were not available in 12-step fellowships for me and also for a lot of other people who I came into connection with. Um, But I feel like 12-step, the 12-step philosophy, the 12-step method, the 12-step experience when it's done well is so healing and, and so helpful And I am going to talk about that experience with y'all for anyone who may need it, Um, for anyone who just may be curious of it. You didn't even know that 12 steps were a thing for love addiction, for sex and love addiction. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my story and what to expect if you are looking to get invested in this for yourself. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Attention to all my proud plant parents. It is time to give all of your plant babies the best nutrition you can, starting from the bottom up. And that starts with the best soil to help them grow happy, nourished, and strong. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that is approved for organic growing and has been sourced from ocean waters and farms for over 28 years. With a full range of products that support every garden and lawn, Coast of Maine products are made to restore roots to the natural world. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, by adding Coastal Maine products, it will help regenerate the healthy microbes in your soil and set you up for gardening success. And if you have a vegetable garden, not only do you benefit via an abundant harvest, but find that there is less need to maintain and feed throughout your season. Coastal Maine continually perfects the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and place that inspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Coastal Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. The products are carried by tons of local retail partners who can provide advice and insight that is not found in the big box stores. Costa Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community for gardeners everywhere, which is why I love how they make organic gardening simple and approachable for everyone. So let's get growing. Visit costamaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coast of Maine, like the state with an E.com. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. So I got introduced to 12 Steps 
actually originally in my therapy program. So I am a therapist by trade. My master's degree is in marriage and family therapy. And one of the classes we took was on addiction. And I remember the professor at the time saying that he felt that the 12-step process was, or the 12-step philosophy and the 12 steps in themselves were so healing and impactful that every person should go through them, even if they don't identify with having an addiction because of just how much um, power and wisdom is in it. And I, at that point, had had no personal experience with addiction in my family, or at least none that I was able to call addiction at that point, or there was no one who was actively in recovery. So I had heard about the 12 steps because we have 12 steps talked about in popular culture and movies and just society. So I was aware that they existed and that the first one is to admit that you're powerless to whatever, whatever. And so I was aware of that. But outside of that, I heard him, but I was like, okay, well, that's good to keep in mind for future clients that I have down the road. So Fast forward years and I get into therapy after my mother had passed and I talked about how for me the passing of my mother was the catalyst of a lot of things in my life that were already kind of skating on edge but I had a good handle at kind of putting masks and band-aids on things. Well, once she passed, a lot of things exploded. And one of the things that exploded was how I self-medicated in relationships. And so um, sex and relationships, sexual activities and relationships. And so I had, without getting into the gory details, because I've talked about a lot of different things already on this podcast, I found that I was consistently being in relationships and in experiences even when I didn't want to be there anymore, even when I didn't want to do what I was doing, even when I was logically present enough to say, this is going to hurt or this is not going to work out for me, I was still compelled to do these things in spite of the consequences that were either currently happening or potentially going to happen down the road. And I just felt my life spinning out of control. I had consequences in my career when it came to relationships with people and putting myself in um, compromising positions there. I had financial impact as well with the things that I was buying and not buying as far as self-medication. Obviously, my mental and emotional health was in danger, my sexual health. So just everything was being impacted and I didn't know how to get out of it. So I told my therapist at the time what was happening, and he was amazing. I still love that guy. He was amazing, and he was like, well, Sheena, it sounds like you may need some support that I'm not able to give you, which shout out to therapists who are honest about your scope of work and that you don't keep people on when you don't really have the skills or capability to do that. That's a hard conversation to have. But he was like, you know, I can help with, you know, codependency in general and grief stuff. But when it comes to this, I I can't really help. So maybe you should check out Sex Addicts Anonymous. And I remember thinking there's no way in hell I'm going to a Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting because I didn't feel like I fit the criteria. I didn't feel like I was a sex addict. Also, the image that I had in my mind of who a sex addict was, was a guy in a trench coat, you know, just perpetrating on people. And I did not 
feel like that fit for me. And also, I did not want to be in a room with, quote unquote, those type of people. And so I staunchly refused. And I said, I don't think that's me. And I'm not open to that. And then a few more months went down the road, (laughs) or not even a few months, probably, probably like a month or so. And stuff kept happening. And um, then my therapist said, well, what about Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous? And the love part, it fit a little bit better as far as the title. It made it softer. It made it not as scary. And I said, okay, tell me more. And he said, well, it's it's a 12-step meeting. And, you know, here's the website. Here's the information. I think you should go. And I said, okay. And, you know, I didn't want to go, but... I did. I ended up going, obviously, because I knew I needed something and I was just going to check it out. And he he said, well, there's women's meetings and men's meetings and co-ed meetings. And I really think you should go to the women's meetings. And I remember thinking, why would I ever want to go to a co-ed meeting anyways? Like, I do not want to be around men right now. (laughs) So I found a women's meeting and I went and I remember walking in. And the meeting was at a church down the in the center of the city. And I walked into this room, not knowing what to expect. And I got there a few minutes early and, you know, women started to fill the room and they all walk in and they're so happy and they're so and they're smiling and they're welcoming each other. And they're saying, hey, how are you? And also they all look really normal. Um, No one looks like haggard. No one looks like, you know, they just walked out of a lineup. No one looks like they are going to hurt me. They all look like professionals or stay-at-home moms or college students, which they all were. Women who were lawyers in the room, women who were real estate agents, women who were therapists like me. We all had one thing in common, which was we all had this common pain when it came to relationships. And of course, I didn't know that at the time, but first I just remember thinking, all these people are just really happy to be here and this is weird. And I didn't say anything. I just just sat in the room. So when you go to a 12-step meeting, either the room is going to be formatted where there's a whole bunch of chairs in a circle, or sometimes it may be formatted where it's just a whole bunch of chairs and there's different people who just stand up and speak throughout the room or they sit down and they speak. And this room was formatted in a circle. So I sit there and this is, this is going to be a good time where I just talk about what a meeting looks like in general. So I'm not popcorning back and forth. So at a 12 step meeting, the way that a 12 step meeting is opened up after everybody comes and sits down, it always starts on time. So if you're operating out of CPT time, I suggest that you make it your purpose to get on time because the beginning is just as important as the whole meeting. So once the meeting starts, we um, open up with a set of readings, which are usually the rules and the 12 steps and the bylaws and the promises of what people will get when they come to this meeting. There's usually a binder that literally people will read from so that it is easy to do. Sometimes people will pass around different sheets related to like the 12 steps. So they'll ask who would like to read the 12 steps today, who would like to read the promises of being in 12 steps. And it's just a really great, consistent way to know that whatever meeting you ever go to, no matter what, 
they all open the Safeway. So it's always kind of like coming home. I remember that once I got into the fellowship, I kept going to meetings as part of my ongoing recovery to make sure when I went to travel and I went on trips that I wasn't acting out because I was also part of my pattern. When I would go to different cities and go to all my travel excursions that I would not necessarily do things that were within what I wanted to do for myself. So I would intentionally look for meetings wherever I was going. And I found them everywhere, y'all. There are 12 set meetings literally around the world um, that you can go to for support. So anyways, we open up with the readings and all of that. Then they ask, is there anyone who needs to celebrate a milestone? So if someone's made 30 days or a year or one day or whatever it might be, they raise their hand and they say that and everyone's like, yay, congrats. And they'll give you a chip to celebrate the accomplishment that you've had in your recovery. And then they may ask, is there anyone here who's here with us for the first time? And you get to choose whether or not you say anything. No one's going to like nudge you on the shoulder if they notice you're new or no one's even going to look at you and give you eye contact and pressure you to say anything because everyone in that room understands where they are. So, But if you do happen to say, hi, my name's Sheena, everyone will just say, hi, Sheena, and move on, <laughs> just like in the movies. And then from there, the topic of the meeting is introduced. And so sometimes the topic is a reading from the actual book. So every 12-step meeting, there's 12-step meetings for for sex and love addiction, obviously, also for alcohol, which is probably the most commonly known one, Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's one for Narcotics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous. And there's Sugar Addicts Anonymous. There's Work Addicts Anonymous, Under Earners Anonymous. There are so many different 12-step meetings for different addictive behaviors that people feel like they're trapped in, Gamblers Anonymous. And most of the different fellowships have different books, like core readings, that they will read an excerpt from to have as the topic for the day. If it's not an excerpt from the main you know, fellowship book that talks about the 12-step process, there's also usually supplemental books that are just the inspirational books that most people in the fellowship kind of pass around and that they all read as kind of like devotionals. And so they might do a reading from one of these books as a devotional. So it's an inspirational reading that's no more than a page and then women are able to talk about what their experiences or how they relate to whatever has been read. You are not allowed to talk across the room. And so that's something that can feel very intimidating for people is, you know, you're trying to, you, you want to share something, but you're afraid that someone's going to interrupt you or you're afraid that someone's going to say that what you feel and what you think is dumb. And 12-step meetings are sacred ground where people are not allowed to interrupt you, that they're not allowed to give you advice that you didn't ask for, that you share how you relate to whatever the person just said. And all they say is, thank you, Sheena, for sharing. And then another thing that could happen is in case, you know, they see that they're, you're a newcomer or that there's multiple newcomers there, they may make it a newcomer meeting. And what that means is that they will offer, the discussion will be for people to tell their stories and why they are in the room. And what that does is that really helps you hear, okay, is this really the right place for me? Do I actually connect to the other people who are here? Can I resonate? 
And for me, when I came to that first meeting, that's what ended up happening. I was a newcomer, and so they all ended up telling their stories. And if I was feeling really uncomfortable at first, once these women started to open their mouths and talk about their experiences, I felt like this is where I should have been my whole life. I saw women or I heard women tell stories of just being obsessive about relationships, about going through withdrawal, of feeling shame and guilt, of having heartbreak and promising to never go back again. I've heard people talk about the other extreme of not knowing how to trust other people, of not knowing how to take care of themselves, of really learning how to prioritize and heal themselves and show up for themselves and talking about the strength and the courage and the wisdom that they've gotten from the process. And it was just incredible to hear it. And I knew immediately that whatever they were talking about, that I wanted it. And I wanted to know how they got it. So of course, in their stories, they were talking about sponsors, because in 12 Steps, you can have a sponsor um, for sex and love addicts as well. And so I was listening to everyone's story and just kind of taking notes on who were the people who I liked and people who could potentially be sponsors for me. And so that's the experience of going to a 12-step meeting. Now let me actually talk about what are the 12 steps because I don't want to take for granted that people may be like me and may have a vague awareness of what the 12 steps are, but not really have any true experience with it. So the 12 steps are a set of different steps that one will take to recognize that whatever has been having control over their life, that they are ready to relinquish it and let go of it and replace it with behaviors, actions, a lifestyle and service that actually benefits their life. And that is a very strong paraphrase, but that's basically the heart of every 12-step program, that we have become powerless to whatever we've been using to self-medicate. And we don't want that to have power over our life anymore. And we want to heal. We want to be free of it. And again, there are so many things that people can and do self-medicate with. And there's probably a meaning for everything in addition to everything that I've already listed. But... What this program takes is the first step is just honesty. It's honesty about the things that you've been trying to do to work through your relationships, to work through your over-attachment to self-medicating with sex or porn or whatever it might be for you. Anything that you feel like is out of control because most of the things that I've noticed that are in 12-step meetings are not necessarily bad things. In fact, they're things that are part of our everyday life. But when we use things in excess or when we, opposite extreme, will over-restrict these good things like food, like sex, like access to relationships, like pleasure, whatever it might be, because of internalized self-hatred or trauma or pain, we don't know how to find balance. And every time we try to find balance, we end up either hurting ourselves or going deeper into the hole. And so the first step is to be honest with the fact that everything that I've been trying to do up until now, my best judgment, my best wisdom has gotten me this far. And I need something different. And it's okay for you to admit that to yourself. It doesn't mean anything is bad or broken or wrong with you. Just that I do not have access to the power to actually fix this on my own. 
So I need something outside of myself to help me get over this hump. So that's another thing I loved about the 12 steps is that it's, it's a process, <laughs> right? It is, okay, here are 12 steps and you follow them and you get to check things off and you get to collect chips and you get the rewards along the way and you get to do things right. You get to have a plan. And I love that. I love plans. I love checking things off the list. I love structure. And so I was like, this is going to be awesome. And it really helped me in a lot of different ways. I had an amazing sponsor and I became friends with some of the most amazing people. So when you enter into a 12-step fellowship or any kind of 12-step program, if you're actually going to work the program, working the program automatically involves, and this is outside of sex and love addiction, this is all of them. It actively involves you being able to reach out and ask for help. Reason that's important for me to emphasize is because remember the first step is honesty that you doing this on your own isn't working. You keep hitting some kind of wall. Even if you can't describe it, you know something is there, right? And so you need access to help and support outside of yourself. So in you doing this 12-step program or in me doing the 12-step program, what this involved is anytime I felt triggered to go back to potential relationships, to make decisions, to act out, to be connected to people who are not available to me, to shut down and not express what I needed from other people, to engage in sexual things that were not making me feel good and that were not connected to my own personal power and my own personal joy, I needed to reach out to somebody in the moment. So in popular culture and in movies and in TV, you'll hear about people saying they need to call their sponsors before they're about to take a hit or something or to take a drink of something. And that's basically what this is. So when I was about to send a, hey, you up text, or when I was about to look at all the messages that I blocked on my iPhone because I cut somebody off, but I was wondering what's going on with them. And I just wanted to peek and see what was going on with them, which was just another form of me relapsing. Something for y'all to know that's a common phrase that I don't know is, I don't know if it's that common outside of addiction and healing communities, but relapse happens before you take the first sip. So what that would mean for those of y'all who listen to this podcast, who relate to love addiction or love avoidance is if you're trying to create distance with someone that you're codependent or trauma bonded with, you start the process of going back to them way before you take their phone call or way before you reach out to them first. You start the process of reconnecting with that person the first time you make a decision that's outside of your values or the first time you, that you kind of let something slip or you make an exception to your personal rules and it just gets easier from there, right? With my ladies who are love avoided, you start to slip into your love avoidant patterns once you start to crowd your schedule to make it so big and impenetrable where nobody can have access to you, where you're not available to people, right? And so your first step is looking at, okay, when, you're, when your boss or someone asks you to take on another project and you know you've already kind of promised that you're going to be more available for people and you saying, okay, yes, just this one time. So those are things to keep in mind. As far as the women that I got to know inside the fellowship, like I said, they became some of my best friends. Some of them were in my wedding. 
And it was so healing to be around people. So I have been fortunate enough to where I have always had access to really amazing and non-judgmental friends. There were definitely some friends along the way that I realized with time that they were very much shame-focused and didn't understand what I was thinking, what I was feeling, and were pretty much fed up with my back and forth with my relationships and used it to look down on me and to pity me and stuff like that. So I had to learn that along the way to create distance in, in those relationships. But I did have access to some really amazing friendships who they may not have gotten it and they didn't understand, but they didn't ever make me feel less than. And they always treated me with compassion. And even though I had access to these women, I didn't have access to people who actually knew what it was like to go into the trenches, to be at these really low places and feel lost and also have people who knew how to come out of it. Because yeah, I could have found people who consistently had unhealthy relationships or self-medicated and did all this stuff, but none of these women or none of these people would have had access to how to get out of it and would also not keep me accountable. If I fell, if I made a mistake, they would probably be more likely to say, yeah, girl, me too, and keep it moving instead of help me make better decisions. And so I had access to amazing friendships with women who were just as crazy as I was, even though you know I don't think crazy, but just the words and the thoughts that I had at the time, but just as crazy as I was or acted in ways that were um, contrary of what they would have wanted and were super open and super funny and super engaging. And I just love them. And I still love them to this day. These were the women who would answer my phone call in the middle of the night and I would answer theirs. These were the women that I would talk about the same person over and over again every day, and they would listen with patience and be able to help me come out of it, and I would do the same for them. I could truly, truly experience and feel everything that I needed to feel without censoring and without judgment and have people who said, me too. And so here's what I want to kind of take. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here, a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us.
Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. A break and go back to why I created these healing circles for Black Girls Heal. I created the protocol for healing circles because healing circles have already always existed. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. If you've not ever heard me talk about healing circles or don't know what that is, in episode 55, I broke down a process of having healing circle accountability groups with other women who are working towards healing from their intimacy disorders as well. There's a workbook you can get from Amazon. There's a set of questions that you can go through, but you and other like-minded women who want to uncover the fear of just opening up and connecting to other people, I wanted to give y'all a structure to know how to do that in your own friend groups if you have any other women around you who are also looking to get healed and or to connect with other women who want the same thing. We have access to so many types of circle groups and healing experiences from small group Bible studies to there's so many healing circles for like racial injustice and healing from racial trauma. And there absolutely needs to be one for healing from intimacy disorders. When you go to a 12-step meeting, you don't actually get the healing just from listening to other people talk about their stories. You get transformation and self-forgiveness and self-compassion and growth when after you hear them talk about what the topic is for that day, and maybe they're talking about father wounds, and you relate to it because of something that happened with you, and you listen to everybody tell their stories, and you have all this self-judgment about whether or not yours would even make sense, and what are people going to think, and it's a little bit different, or they're going to think I'm copying them, and all of that stuff. Once you actually take a breath and share, and you get that out of you, it's left there in the room, y'all is left there on the floor. And then also to have other people around you just listen and hold space for that and not try to fix you, not try to judge you, not try to tell you why it's going to be okay and you shouldn't feel that way, which in some sometimes is cool, but sometimes it's like, I just need to be able to be here. 
that was the most freeing thing to be able to find my voice again and to find power in my voice and to find compassion in my voice and to be able to show up as my full self unapologetically. If nothing else, being in that 12-step meeting and learning that I was not a, not the only one helped me feel not alone in all the things that I've been going through for years, all the things that I've been feeling for years. And I'm internally grateful for that experience. Now, with all of that said, let's talk about some of the things that did not work well for me and leading into why I'm, I'm currently no longer in these 12-step meetings now. The first thing is the ethnic makeup of the group. And it's not the first thing, but it's the first thing for me now. And I'll tell you what the reason why I ended up leaving in the second one. But now for me, it's the ethnic makeup. So when I walked into that room all those years ago for the first time, there was nobody in that room who was not white. (laughs) Everybody in that room was white or white passing is what is a better way for me to say that. And for me, years ago, that was not a deal breaker for me. Um, Years ago, I was still going to a, on paper, ethnically diverse church, but it was still mostly white at the time. I had always grown up in a setting with friends of all races and backgrounds. And when I went to college, it was all black. And then when I returned back to Houston, the adult friend groups that I was a part of was a mixture again. And so I was comfortable navigating those spaces and navigating those rooms. And when it comes to feeling emotional safety to talk about everything that I wanted to talk about, there was definitely a couple times that I wanted to talk about and that I actually did. I did talk about the experience of being a black woman or blackness or something like that. And I could feel, I mean, I could talk about anything else, but I could feel the tension in the room. And the tension that I said in the room at that time was related to them not knowing how to best respond. Seeing just what I've learned about people, including people who consider themselves to be good, white, nice people or good, non-racist people who I was very close to, I would imagine that there was tension for other reasons too in, in those rooms. And so this is actually the case across the board um, in most 12-step fellowships around the nation is that it is dominated by non-people of color for the most part. You can definitely go to meetings where that are more representative, but for the most part, it is dominated by non-people of color. I actually had a white woman reach out to me Ooh, at the beginning of this year, at the end of last year, she directly emailed me and she specifically asked me, she says, Sheena, why are there not a lot of black people who come to 12-step meetings? I really want to know and understand to see if I can be of support, something like that. And I wasn't going to answer it because I was like, I just don't feel like doing this emotional labor right now. But I ended up responding and I talked about for black people to feel safe, we need to feel safe enough to talk about our full experience. All of the pain, the trauma, the fear, the gaslighting that happens for us, 
that is totally related to our trauma that feeds into how we feel in our relationships, our safety in relationships, the, the things that come up for us in our daily life. And those places are not safe for us because we know that to talk about these things, it would not be accepted or that there may be some pushback. And she didn't respond, <laughs> which I was not surprised by because <laughs> I could just tell with like the, let me know. And I just could tell it wasn't coming from a good place, but they are not typically very ethnically diverse. And so if that is a factor for you, and as far as the things that you feel like you may want to talk about or feel safe in, that's something for you to know. As far as the reasons why outside of just needing to see others who look like us to feel safe, I would imagine that it probably has something to do with just the history of the 12 steps that it started in white communities and just where it has branched to. Um, I would I would just imagine that that's also kind of part of it too, but I couldn't say for sure. What you will find if you go to 12-step meetings is that every meeting has its own flavor and has its own personality. And here in Houston, Houston was actually known for being um, one of the biggest fellowships for sex and love addiction for um, a major city. So there were there are tons of meetings at all hours on every day for men, for women, for co-ed, for LGBTQ communities, for people who just identify as love addicts, for people who just identify as love avoidance, for people who identify for love anorexics, whatever you got, you could find it. And once you start going to meetings, you end up finding a meeting that is your favorite, right? You end up finding the one that becomes your quote unquote home meeting. And so different meetings have different communities, different vibes. And so that's my disclaimer for what I'm about to say, that you can go to a different meeting, a meeting where you are and have a totally different experience. What happened for me, the longer I was in the fellowship and the more I started to change and get better and I started to have healthier relationships and I didn't have problems to talk about every week and I just had more successes every time I came, I didn't feel as if the energy was as conducive to celebrating those wins. It seemed like the meetings were very problem focused and which is obviously duh, like part of why people were there to talk about the pain that they were going through, to experience it, to let it out, to talk about the different setbacks that they were having and relieve, get support. But when it came to people consistently winning, I would just notice that those people would stop coming. And at first, you know, people might make sideways comments about how people would come and get the transformation and leave and they need to stay and give back and become sponsors and help people and all of that, but they don't. And it kind of people being judged by that. But what I noticed was, is that it wasn't a good container for, okay, now that you have gotten all of this movement Now let's help you like get momentum and we're going to celebrate your wins just as much as we gave you compassion when things were going downhill for you. And I just felt like it became pretty depressing for me to continue to be there, to not feel celebrated and to not feel seen or feel safe to be celebrated as if I was taking away from other people. You know, like because I'm winning, that means that you are failing. And that was not the energy that I was coming with, but that's what it felt like people were receiving it in and it just got to be too much. Also, I was actively practicing as a therapist and 
I switched my specialty to focus specifically on love addiction. So before I got into recovery, I was seeing people for everything, for anything that they needed, um, which is commonly what happens when you look up a therapist, that they can treat multiple things. And so that's what I was doing. But as I started to do this work, I was like, there's a lot of women suffering that don't have access to therapy and like the actual nitty gritty stuff that goes on with love addiction. So that's what I'm going to specialize in. And I started to run into the problem where my clients needed to go to meetings. And that meant that I couldn't go to that meeting too. I could not go and lay out all of my junk that I was feeling in the same room that my client was in. I did a couple times at the very beginning because I didn't expect them to be there um, because I needed that meeting. But as time went on, I was like, this is not going to be conducive for me. So I also left because of that. And the fourth reason that I left was as much as I love the 12 steps for being able to like have a process in a way, there were so many holes in the program. So to do your 12 steps, there's usually worksheets that go along with it. And you and your sponsor, you fill out the worksheets and your sponsor and you talk about the worksheets, talk about what you wrote and you get your chip for that step. And then you go on to the next step. That's typically how it goes. But because the 12 step program, there's no head person over 12 step. Like there's like volunteer committees, but there's no big boss. There's no one that's writing curriculums for the 12-step program. Part of the buy-in for the safety of the 12-steps is that it's not owned by anyone and that it promises to never do commercials for the 12-steps. It promises to never be bought out or be branded or to have a spokesperson for the 12-steps because it's owned by the people, right? But with it being owned by the people, it's a very disjointed process. So when it came time for me to have go through the step work, I would have a different set of worksheets than my girlfriend would have, or my girlfriend might not have worksheets at all. The process that she would have to go through to get to the different to the next step was totally different than mine. I had friends whose sponsors were so strict and kind of overbearing and really intrusive that they would make their sponsees wait long periods of time to get to the next step, but really it's more about their sponsors' issues versus about the students' issues. It was just kind of a wild place in some ways. And in addition to that, even though I had a really great sponsor who had a really great control over things, these things were coming up in my life that this room of other everyday women didn't know how to help me with. They didn't know how to help me make the connection between my trauma and why I was acting out the way that I was. They didn't have access to really great tools at least more tools than what were in the program to help me because even though I had been in the program for two years, at the end of two years, and I was in the program for longer than two years, but at the end of me being in the program for two years with these great relationships, with more access to my self-worth and my self-esteem, with more access to my voice, I was still, at the end of those two years, I had gone back to a relationship with a narcissist I was in a friends with benefits thing with someone who was separated, still married, but separated, which is always on my no-no list. And I was in a fantasy relationship. I had committed in my head that someone was going to be my husband one day, and he just had to be the one who caught on to it. And I was like, 
hell no. Like there has to be, (laughs) there has to be something better. Like I'm happy. I'm living my best life. And I'm not like going into like these major spirals like I did before. And I'm fully aware of what I'm doing versus in the past when I would just be doing shit and not knowing why I'm doing it. And I don't want to be doing this anymore. And so I had to reverse engineer my way out of it, which I did, which is why I'm here talking to y'all. But the program was not the end all be all. And I know for a lot of people listening, they're like, well, obviously it's not supposed to be, but therapy plus 12 steps still had me doing what I was doing. And so I was like, okay, I got to figure out something different for myself because this wasn't enough. So those are the reasons why I ended up leaving the 12 step fellowship. It just wasn't a good fit for me anymore. I kind of outgrown it. I needed some things more than that. It wasn't ethnically diverse, which again, wasn't a deal breaker for me years ago when I started. It would be now. It would definitely be for me now. I have to feel safe and not having spaces with other black women, black people is terrifying for me. (laughs) Like it's just, I would not want to do it if I had the opportunity or if it was not clear to me that everybody in that room was actively working on their allyship and healing their own internalized white supremacy and were actively working on social justice and advocating for it. If that was not clear, then I would not want to be in that room. And that's not the case. I know several people in those rooms are who they are. So that was my experience. The benefit of 12-step meetings also is that they're free. You can go to these meetings at any time of day, of any day of the week. And if you find places that are safe for you, you can go and you can talk about your feelings and your emotions. And that's awesome. But a setback of that is that I live in a major city that has access to that and not every city does. And even the major cities that you do have, you might not like the meetings. You might not feel safe talking there. You might have a lot of fear of getting started. And I just want to validate that it's okay for you to feel all of those ways. I really encourage my students to trust their intuition instead of forcing themselves to do something because they feel like they're supposed to do it. And so going back to the healing circles, that's why I created access to that. That's why I created that protocol, why I have that workbook. I plan to write more workbooks for people to work through. You can also find your own inspirational relationship book that you kind of read as kind of like a book club. But the difference is, is that there's no homework, that you just pick one excerpt that talks about codependency or letting go or boundaries, and you just all go around in a circle and talk about what comes up for you as you read it. Again, I plan to publish more resources to make that easier, to make that an easier, okay, this is what we're going to read this week, and these are our discussion questions, and this is how we can support each other. What I really love about the Healing Circle Workbook is that it kind of breaks down, this is how you make your circle safe. This is how you ask for support. This is how you don't rescue the other ladies there. This is how you talk about in case something hurts your feelings in the circle and that you don't go ghost on these people that you just spent four or five weeks building a connection to, right? Because that's just replaying your own trauma. And I really want everyone to experience what that's like to be in that safe place. So we have our directory 
that is still available at the time of me recording this is still available. I'm going to be honest. And I'm also thinking about ways to adjust that because I, I'm trying to figure out how to make it easier for women to connect with each other and find potential people to be in a circle with. But if you go to blackgirlsheal.org and click on circles at the top, you'll be able to create your own free account and then join the directory and reach out to other women to see if they want to start a healing circle with you or if you can join theirs. Like I said, I want to find a better way to do that. Right now, what I'm doing for the ladies who are in our program, so we have two programs with Black Girls Heal. We have our Healed and Loved Woman membership, which is basically where I have monthly workshops related to becoming a healed and loved woman and healing your love worthiness within yourself, feeling connected to your body, feeling connected to your relationships and showing up as your best self and your boundaries and everything else. We have one on finding and using your voice. This month, it was on loving and nurturing your inner child. And I think next month is going to be on connecting and belonging in social groups. And so what I do after the workshop, after I teach, is any women who want to stay, I break them out into groups and I give them discussion questions and they can kind of get to know each other that way. For the ladies who are in my main coaching program, our recovery school coaching program, I actually have the chance to get to know them a little bit more by having individual calls with them when they first joined the program. And so from there, I match women. This is currently what I'm doing um, because I don't want someone to listen to this two years from now. You're like, Sheena, you say you're going to talk to me individually, especially if I have someone who takes this part over as a coach. I just I want to set expectations. But currently in this moment, at the time of recording, um, when women join the program, I have an onboarding call with them. And then I use that information and what I know that they're working on to match them with other women in a healing circle if they want to be matched. It's not a required part of the program. It's something I strongly encourage, but it's an option. And I've just watched women who, when they are connected well, that they build really great friendships and a lot of trust and all the healing that I talked about that I experienced um, in the slaw programs. And so I just want that for everyone. I love when I get messages from people talking about how you've used this workbook for your own personal friendships. Like I've had people tell me that they use this with their mother, like they have a mother-daughter situation going on that people have done this with their best friend groups and I just think it's it's so incredible so I hope to add to those resources and hopefully find a way to streamline the process or just add maybe different features for my ladies who are not members of our main programs but you are a part of our directory so for anyone who's also wondering about okay where do I get this workbook is on Amazon I want to say it's like 15 bucks and you can go ahead 15 19 bucks one of the two and you can go ahead and grab that and get started it is built to be done in community i know some people have been trying to use it as an individual workbook but it's truly built for you to discuss the contents with other women every time y'all get together so that is it for this episode. This was a big mamma jamma. I guess it's made up for some of the shorter episodes we've had the last couple of weeks, but I hope that you found it helpful. Feel free to reach out if you have any other questions about the SLAW program, about my experience. I actually plan on doing 
more Instagram lives based on these 12 steps. I realized when I was prepping for this episode that what my professor said at the beginning about how the 12 steps are just helpful for everyone to know and for everyone to experience, I totally agree with that. So I plan to do lives just based on each of the 12 steps or the the spiritual principle behind each of the 12 steps every few weeks or so. So if you are not connected to us on Instagram, then go ahead and look for us there at Black Girls Heal. And I'll also see if I can just share them to YouTube as well. Um, And you can find us on YouTube, just type in Black Girls Heal. So that's it for this episode. I am sending you all love and I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors.